Shades Midweek. If you're listening for the first time, this is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things shades. My name is Joe Mark Tarot. I'm joined by my good friends, Mr. Brad Brown and Mr. Jonathan Hayes. It's good to be back in the studio with you all. It's we good are, to have you back. Yeah, man. We are glad to have you back. But we don't want you to get comfortable because we got so much to talk about today. Yes. We want to immediately take a trip down to the email <laughs> You're out of practice. Let's try that again. Try it again, Jonathan. Set me up. <laughs> Let's go down to the email core. The email All right. Now, we have waited a few weeks to read this email just because, I mean, we've just been inundated with emails. Inundated. Inundated. In the corridor. This email is actually titled "An Email Worth the Wait," and and it's from Doug Abernathy. Oh, Douglas, famed email corridor writer. That's right. Soon, head, of, head of the finance team at Shades yes, Valley. Soon to to have twins on his hands. All right, pastors three. I bring something for each of you again. Uh, previously, I guess we should mention for those who don't understand what's happening. Doug has written in several times before. He's written in several questions, so uh, he's got questions for all of us again. Yes. JM, is there a release date for the episode on the role of background music in prayer, spiritual warfare, and emotional manipulation promised in episode 104? Due to mounting anticipation for this episode across the body, will you be releasing any teaser trailers? I can answer this really quickly. There is no release date for the episode on this topic. It is it it's in it's in our back pockets. Let's put it that way. We we have a, a, a like a reoccurring list, a growing list of ideas for episodes and usually every week we add things to it. This is just one of those that we have in the back pocket and we haven't recorded yet, but I I, I think at some point this year we will do the episode. Yes, it's mm. our our backlog of ideas is is less like a schedule and yes. more more like a, a a lottery ticket like b- ball thing whatever. <laughs> yes, that is the official name of it. <laughs> but uh, it would be fun to do a teaser trailer. So whenever we do start working on that, maybe I'll get you a teaser trailer just for you, Doug. All right, Brad. This is a question for you. Mm. Once a month, can we have Bradley's Audiobook Guild with a recommendation for an audiobook? Preferably, the book would be available through the public library app. I was excited when your recent recommendation of Attachments by Tim Clinton was available as an audiobook, but couldn't take the reader's voice. <laughs> so, alas, I don't know why we love, act, and feel the way we do. Which is the Brad, sub, Brad, you don't that. have to answer this question because Doug doesn't know your name. <laughs> yeah, what did he say? Bradley. Unbelievable. <laughs> yes, it is Bradford's Book Club, Doug. That is my Christian name. <laughs> I would like to be referred um, as Bradford. So... But let me answer your question seriously because it is a serious question. I could see audiobooks being a subset of Bradford's book club, but when it comes to readers' voices, I find that to be extremely subjective. And so I'm not quite sure what criteria I would go by to determine whether or not a voice was suitable. So I'm going to run that by my board of trustees, and I'll get back to you. 
All right. Here's a question for Jonathan. Have you done a comparison to see if you took Brad's recommendation and adopted the Christian Standard Bible if you would have to spend less time correcting the translations? My Presbyterian roots are here for the hair splitting, but just wondering if we aren't going to come out on the wrong side of history. It takes me back to my mid-teens when ESV hit the scene and started to replace NIV, and ESV people would say, NIV? You mean the nearly inspired version? I would like to avoid being on the receiving end of a similarly sick burn. Uh, also, in parentheses, JM, it would be great if you didn't tell Brad and Jonathan about oh, this. Wait, oh, wait. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, all right. So I, I clearly haven't read the email. Uh, <laughs> so uh, d- a cu- couple things, Doug. I'll try and do this fast like everybody else. Uh, one, I don't know that that's worthy of being called a sick burn. Um, <laughs> but but two, the NIV is actually a good translation. So don't don't let, don't let people hate on you for that. That it's, is a good it, joke, but it's, it's a, good, a good, translation. good translation. And I would actually say the ESV and the CSB, these are all good translations. Our problem is not that we don't have a good translation. It's that we have many. Um, true. And they serve different purposes and things like that. I would say, uh, I, one, I am not going to adopt the CSB. I'm sorry, uh, Brad. It's, it's not happening. Uh, I'm sticking with the ESV. Have I asked you to adopt the CSV? No, I, I, you might have said consider it. He didn't pressure me. He didn't pressure me. I no, just said check it out. Yeah, check it out. For the record. <laughs> um, Isn't the uh, the pour over, don't they use the CSB? Maybe. Or do I they don't use know. something else? I can't remember. I don't know. Go on. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it used to be called the HCSB, uh, which... Uh, we we did used to have the sick burn, Doug. We would jokingly call that the uh, hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. Yeah, I feel like every translation has a burn. Like this, this isn't a burn. The ESV, Doctor Genelet would always call it the Beast and Divinity version. Oh, and that's like a seminary joke, so no one's gonna get that. Yeah. But hilarious. Some anyway, people could be offended. I anyway, guess. but these are all good versions. Um, I I I would say, Doug, I would be slow to use the word correcting. <laughs> when talking about what I do on Sundays with going back to the Greek. And and sometimes, sometimes I will straight up say uh, that I think something is translated poorly. Um, but uh, other times, it's not that the translation is bad. Uh, it, it's perfectly fine. It's that translation is hard. Moving from one language to another to try and get the full sense of something that's being communicated, uh, because you can't just move uh, like from one word to another. Uh, it takes it takes context, it takes phraseology, it takes all of these different things in order to draw in uh, the the full sense of what's going on. Um, so so yeah, so that's but that's why that's why Doug that's why they send us to seminary and make us deal with Greek and Hebrew and stuff like that is so that we can hopefully. Uh, bring bring all of that to to the finished product of of the sermon each sunday so there you have it doug just learn the greek and hebrew you're not on the wrong side of history doug even if you keep using your niv i'm sad we don't have doug in the room for a sarcastic response (laughs) well here's the last of his email it says jm it would be great if you didn't tell Brad and Jonathan about this part until you get on the air so i don't know if you guys read this or not (laughs) to close I'm interested in an answer from each pastor and also in your ability to speak in euphemisms. When watching a movie or TV show with your wife and the bathing suit area of the performers is shown, how do you respond? Does the response change if they begin to wrestle? Awaiting 
your response our ability to speak in euphemism huh dog wrestle um do y'all want y'all i didn't read that part of the email (laughs) he's asking for our personal practices what each of us do in this situation as one of my professors at Beeson would often say, I need to give this more critical thought <laughs> before I respond. Oh, Jonathan? I'm happy to respond. Um, yeah, let's let's shoot it to Jonathan. <laughs> Why don't you take it? Uh, so I'm going to speak straight out of personal experience. So um, my wife has uh, really strict standards. She, she really does. And she will not watch uh, films that have nudity in it. So I don't find myself in this situation. Um, there is a funny story, though, recently, where I did find myself in this situation. Um, so I love the movie theater, and uh, my wife does not. So anytime I can convince her to go see a movie at the theater, I will go see. I don't care what it is. Like, it, it, it can be a movie I'm not interested in at all. And there was a movie that a, a trailer had dropped for. She'd seen the trailer, and she was like, oh, that looks funny. I, I like it, it was Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum. Uh, do y'all know the movie I'm talking about? I can't even remember the title of it, and I saw it in the theater. Um, Came out in the last couple of years, you said? No, no, like this year. Oh, this like, year. Yeah, it was really recent. Uh, Sandra know, Bullock, dude. Channing Tatum. Anyway. Sorry. I don't know. It's that it's that movie. She's like a, a romance novelist, and he's like the model for her the covers of her books, and they end up on an adventure that's really like that. It, they end it, up together. Yeah, it's a comedy kind of thing, and she likes Sandra Bullock and all that. I think Sandra Bullock's funny, and all that, but she would go to the theater to see it, so I'm like, okay, let's go see it. So we do. Well, there is a scene where Channing Tatum's rear end is on the screen, and not for like three seconds for like a solid three minutes it's just in your face (laughs) and it was rather awkward it was rather awkward for everybody in the room i feel awkward right now (laughs) (laughs) oh but uh so in in all seriousness uh to bring it back i i will say uh on on the issue uh specifically of nudity in film um i appreciate the pastoral wisdom of john piper on this issue um, he has an Ask Pastor John episode where he gets asked something similar. I don't remember what the question is exactly, but he's kind of elucidating the difference between uh, nudity, violence, and language in film. And what he talks about is he, he talks about how uh, the violence is all fake. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nobody's really getting hurt. There's no real blood here, blah, 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 any of that. Uh, the language he talks about how they don't actually mean these words or anything like that. But he talks about how nudity can't be faked, how that's really somebody's daughter, uh, that's a real person, and so he just talks about the importance of guarding your eyes and your heart, and and I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, I don't think that that necessarily means it eliminates uh, every single film uh, that would contain such things from viewing at all, but I do think it means that we got to be careful. Um, and guard our hearts, guard our eyes, and uh, and that if we view such films, I think that should include the guarding of our hearts and eyes in the context of viewing those films. In other words, I don't think you should watch those those parts. But that's that's me speaking uh, from from my personal experience and uh, and what I think is biblically wise. So, anyone want to throw anything on that? I don't think so, Doug. <laughs> well said, Jonathan. Doug, thank you for writing in. As usual, you always 
give us things to ponder and pontificate about, and we just really appreciate that about you. Okay. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're not going to have an album this week, and you'll find out why when we have our book. All right, this is JM's book club. How's everything going? <laughs> I should have had some metal playing or something. I should have just went went into something totally different. We have a takeover. (laughs) Takeover. No, actually, Brad uh, came up to me 30 seconds ago and said, John Mark, would you like to do my segment this week? And I said, sure, why not? And this actually ties into the the rest of the episode. Uh, Andy Squires, who we're going to be talking about today. Andy Squires is a musician, a pastor. He's also uh, a poet, and he writes these essays. I, you know, I don't know the, the full story. It seems like uh, through Instagram it kind of started. He had been posting just his thoughts and captions on Instagram. People seemed to really enjoy what he was saying. Very provocative, thought-provoking material and content. And he decided to uh, use some photographs of this artist uh, that he's friends with. And they put together this beautiful, it's almost like a magazine, but it's, it's way more than a magazine. It's this full color print book titled Poet Priest, Volume 1 by Andy Squires. I'm just going to read a little bit from the introduction here that Andy writes. He says, uh, this collection of words and images you now hold in your hand is nothing I meant to do. I am not a writer by trade. If I am known at all, it is probably for the music I make. So I consider the existence of this volume of devotional meditations to be a fortuitous gift to me, and I praise God for it. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's what this whole book is. It's, it's just a collection of essays, of devotions. You could read it however you want. You could take an hour and just read through you know, several pages of this. You could maybe take an essay a day and choose to reflect on it. But he touches on a lot of themes. So like he's he's got some essays that are based off of songs that he's written where he, you know, dives deeper into some of the lyrics and he's able to, I don't know, extrapolate and, and open up a lot more about the meaning and different things like that. And it probably just leads you to have further questions, honestly. He's a he's an excellent, excellent writer, and a lot of his stuff is very, very challenging, and I have really enjoyed it. A lot of times when he posts it on Instagram, if there's like a really good one, I share it with some friends, and we always have – it always opens up good conversation, I feel like. The the only problem with this recommendation is that if you want to read this, you're going to have to borrow it from John Mark because they yes. stink and sold out of them. <laughs> right. Um, you yeah. can, but I, there are some people. That's true. There are some other people in the body who have a copy, and I you think might, the Ashleys have one. Uh huh. And you might be able to find it secondhand, maybe. Um, true. Yeah, he did. I forgot to mention that he did a pre-sale, and they they fulfilled that order. And once it was done, I think it was done. Now, whether or not he does like a second run, I could I could definitely see him doing that. He's talked about doing a second volume. With all new material, so who knows, man? But I think it's it's did really well for him. I mean, they moved several thousand copies of wow. this, so um, it's really cool. And the the images, the images in this thing are just are really beautiful. Um, so it's a really awesome art book to look at and enjoy. And uh, yeah, so it's called Poet Priest Volume One. I don't know, maybe you can find it on the internet somewhere. I have no idea. I love that. <laughs> yep. 
What a great recommendation. Well, and that leads us to what we've already recorded today. That's right. And that is a track-by-track breakdown of Andy Squire's album, also called Poet Priest. And we uh, we broke it down with a special friend here in the studio. So you're going to hear that now. All right. Well, I am super excited, super excited about Shades Midweek this week because... I, I, I mean, there's so many, so many reasons, so many reasons. All right, let me let me get the first one out of the way. The first reason is because we have a special guest joining us today, someone that I'm sure our listeners have been waiting, waiting to have back since her last appearance, back in Four Stream Studio, ladies and gentlemen, Cassidy Ashley. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Have we ever? Had a guest two weeks in a row? I mean, has even the famed Andrew Thompson ever made it in here two weeks in a row? I think this is a first. I think it is. I think it's a first. I'm going to put that on my resume. Well, you see, I mean, so we'd have William being here last week uh, with you. That was his second time. So we we had to get you back in. And that that brings around the, the second reason I'm super stoked. We had to bring you back in because we are doing an episode that we promised, we promised, we teased back in episode 71. How many episodes ago was that? Like almost 40? 40 something? A lot. Many. A lot. So this this episode has been like over a year coming. And that's because, ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to do, I don't know what you'd call it, our review, our breakdown, our whatever you want to call Random it. Random opinions and thoughts. <laughs> there you go. Of the Andy Squires album, Poet Priest. Uh, speaking my love language. This is, this is why JM didn't have an album of the week. Because this whole week is about an album. One of your favorite albums that has been featured on JM's album of the week before. Yeah, it has for sure, a hundred percent. Yeah, so I, I think I see you're wearing your poet priest shirt. I am. Was that oh, on purpose today? I wore it on purpose <laughs> because <laughs> I knew what we were gonna do. Yeah, no, I love it. So we, when did this album release, JM? Do you remember? February of 2021 was when it came out. Poet priest. He actually put out singles before that, so singles. For the, from the record started dropping towards the end of 2020, um, and I'm I know that had, he, he put you, out he put out you bring the morning dead horse river of fire and before you got all in 2020 before the record came out in 2020. Were you already listening to it at that point? No, uh, I had some friends that were talking about it a little bit, really mostly after the record came out the full length. So I had not been listening to it. So so he had put out an EP or something like that before this, like a few years before this. He has a full-length album called Cherry Blossoms. Okay, so um, I don't know who I heard about that album, Cherry Blossoms, from, but when you began telling us about this album, I, I had the Cherry Blossoms album in my uh, library. Yeah. So I knew, like, I'd heard of Andy Squires before. Someone had brought him to my attention, but I, I don't know why. I just, I guess I hadn't really listened to the Cherry Blossoms album that much. It hadn't made as much of an impact. But you started listening to this album, I guess, in February. No, it was a little after that because he actually came and played a show in the Birmingham area, and one of my friends went to it, and I didn't, still didn't know who he was, and uh, I did not go. It was like a house show, oh! an acoustic show. Oh! And a friend of mine, Wilder, Wilder Adkins, actually opened me. up for him. 
and there wasn't a lot of people there. It was probably like ten people there. Uh-huh. I don't think there was a, a many at all. Classic. And uh, but I started listening to it afterwards, and John Ball told me about it, and that's just kind of how I got hooked on it. Just started go, walking through the record, yeah. checking it out. Well, I remember you started talking about it to us, and I, I, Brad, I don't remember when you started. You may, you probably started listening before I did. I'm typically late to these things. But once once I started listening to it, I fell in love with it. And we all kind of became like Andy Squires evangelists. Yes. We talked about this album. A lot. Like it would just come up, like whether it was songs or lyrics that would come up or whatever. I'm pretty sure we dropped, like like not just talked about it as the album of the week, but I, I think we just would drop it into conversation probably on several episodes of Shades Midweek. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so several listeners started listening and is, is that how you heard about the album yeah like i think we were listening to an episode and we a lot of times we'll like listen to a lot of episodes of shades midweek when we're on like a road trip and so we were listening to an episode that's and how i do it yeah and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and so we finished it and i was like why don't we just i think we finished the episode where it was your album of the week and i was like let's listen to this and like we listened to the first song and i was like this is the best thing i've ever heard <laughs> this is wow. so good oh man that's cool yeah, one of the things that first stood out to me about it was that it was a Christian album, explicitly Christian, mm-hmm. but it was you couldn't put it in the genre of worship music. Yeah. And then it was good. <laughs> and that combination of things was really refreshing just in my personal opinion. And then I would start sharing it with some friends that don't listen to modern Christian music at all. Right. And I mean at all like they might do some modern hymns but that's pretty much it they don't Mm -hmm. listen to modern worship music nothing and then they started getting really into it and then i was like wow i think we have something here Mm -hmm. yeah and maybe this is a good place for us to start the conversation just kind of like with our general impressions before we kind of like get into individual tracks and and stuff like that because brad i think you're 100 right one of the things that i've noticed is i've talked to people about it or heard from other people who like the album is it tends to hit across the spectrum. Like it really doesn't matter kind of what your particular uh, favorite genre of music is. Like I've just found people all across uh, the, the, the spectrum of musical tastes that appreciate him, uh, Andy Squires and, and specifically this album uh, for one reason or, or another, but, but yeah, so maybe we could go through like some of the reasons, uh, general impressions and reasons the album resonated with each of us. Because we all obviously liked it <laughs> and are fans. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess I'll start. I first heard it while I was at a barbecue at John Ball's house, and it was playing in the background, so I wasn't paying too much attention to it. But I would say, generally speaking, just being a musician, I've always been a musician first, and it wasn't until later in my life, like some sometime in my 20s where I actually started really paying attention to lyrics, to be honest. Most of the time when I would listen to music as a teenager, I, I just wanted to hear the music and the lyrics were sort of like secondary to that. Um, and so, but as I was listening to this record at the barbecue, number one, I could tell the production was great and that his voice was really unique um, I liked what I was hearing, just the general vibes. And then I was picking up just randomly as I'm hanging out, was picking up on lyrics. So then I went back to my house, started listening to it one day, and was just blown away by the the lyrical content of it. Particularly, You Bring the Morning, which is definitely the most... If there's a song on the record, and we'll get to it, but that's the most congregational worship song, it would be that song. Yeah. 
Um, and then the other song that really stood out to me really early on was the song Before You, God. And I, I really uh, gravitated towards those two a lot. So, yeah, I mean, my first impressions were like, uh, <clears throat> I had heard he was buddies with John Mark McMillan and that uh, a guy that produced some of McMillan stuff had produced this record. So I immediately heard that influence on it a good bit. Because it is sort of musically, there's a mixture of rock, folk, right. indie, alternative music. If you want to kind of categorize it or put it in a genre, there's a little bit of Bruce Springsteen vibe. There's a little bit of, you know, kind of more modern indie music as well. Um, but yeah, I think it was the I think it was the combination of his voice. And hearing that and going, oh, yeah, this is nothing like any Christian music that's out there right now because his voice is very, very unique and actually different than the Cherry Blossoms album. So I don't know. I'd love to ask him one day, like, is this like a like, is this like a character? Are you like are you trying to do like something on purpose that was totally different because he does sound so much different from huh. those two mm. records. So I'm, I'm really curious about that. Do, do you know how much time was between the two records? Like, I wonder how much time there is for his, like, style to have shifted or matured. Or So this album came out in 2021. Cherry Blossoms was out in 2015. This is like six years. Yeah. When my buddy Adam went to the show, the house show that I was talking about earlier, he did ask was asking Andy about his songwriting process and stuff. And Andy said that uh, these songs took him a, like several years to write. Mm. So I think he's more of a slow writer that really takes his time and, and really, I mean, and you can obviously tell mm-hmm. lyrically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it really shows on the album too, because there's not a weak point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like I love the whole thing. Yeah. Top to bottom. There's not a wasted lyric or right. anything like that or anything that feels too mm. like phoned in or anything. Yeah. The, so for me, I mean, the, the first thing that stood out to me was his voice. Um, and I think I've been a, a big John Mark McMillan fan over the years. And I think both the, the register that his voice is in that lower register, uh, and, and just that, that really kind of, uh, powerful vibrato that he's got right there like and some of the rawness to his voice it, it reminded me a lot of John Mark McMillan and I, I'm, I'm not trying to throw any shade at uh <laughs> at JMM right here but uh I, I liked it reminded me more of John Mark McMillan's earlier stuff mm. which is more of the stuff that I've liked of his um but yeah then when I realized how large of an impact how much I liked the album and how large of an impact it was having on me was when I began to realize that my favorite songs were the final three tracks. <laughs> and and the reason I say this is because almost inevitably, I don't know what y'all's experience is like, but almost inevitably for me, my favorite songs on an album will, will be within the first couple of tracks because I think most people front load their albums with what they feel like is their best. Mm. But not only that, you tend to listen to those songs more then you do the end because you get in a car. If you start the album from the beginning, you know you, you get a couple of songs in, and then you kind of repeat those and all that. And when I found that, like, "Love Never Fails," "Kingfisher," which is my favorite song on the album, close second being "River of Fire," the final track, which has me convinced that Andy's an Enneagram Four, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, um, I've got some. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I listen. I listened to an interview, so oh, I can yeah. tell you. Oh, I can no. tell you now, or I can tell you later. You can tell me later. Inside scoop. You can tell me later because I don't know. I haven't. I, I've never listened to an interview with him, um, which is sad. I should. 
But uh, but yeah. So I mean, I love I love those songs. Uh, I have uh, so so I'm a little bit of the opposite of UJM in that I have always been attracted to lyricists because I the, yeah. the only reason I got to play in bands when I was younger is because I wrote lyrics. And that was hard to find in middle school and high school, so they keep me around no matter how terrible I was at my instrument. Um, but so, like, I re- that's what made me fall in love with John Foreman mm-hmm. uh, and Switchfoot. It wasn't his voice, um, which has grown on me over the years. But I thought he was an incredible lyricist. Uh, same thing about like Andrew Peterson, and so, so yeah, I yeah, I would say respect. I would say most musicians, particularly like if they're just a drummer and a guitar player, that is what when they're li- really young and listening, it's like the thing they're fixated on is like how does that person do that thing and it's much less right. about why why did he choose that lyric there? It it, it you know, if you're going to write songs uh, it, for me it, it, at least and a lot of people that I know it 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 came much later. Mm-hmm. For, for whatever yeah. reason, so the the final thing I'll say as far as my general observation that uh, that attracted me, and I know we'll talk about this a lot, um, is it felt like one of the most um, I don't know how to say it, not just genuine, but uh, it, it felt like one of the best examples of like modern lament mm. that I had encountered without that ending in a place of despair. Like, it, the, it it didn't tag hope into every song or at every lyric that made it feel cheesy, like, oh, things are bad, but it's all going to turn out okay, kind of thing. But it also didn't just devolve into, like, deconstruction and despair. Like, And he just married that lament with good biblical gospel-grounded hope in a way that I thought was really authentic, and that, that really yeah. impacted me. Cassidy, what about you? Um, I think actually the last thing you said is kind of what drew me in a lot because the first, you know, the first song is Dead Horse. You know, you have like, I mean, and we can talk, we'll talk about it later, but like it, it there, throughout the, the album, you have a lot of like, the, like this guy has suffered. Like he's seen some stuff and he's dealt with some stuff and yet he sits here and he is still saying like, but God, like, but in, in the same way, it's not like a lot of songs that are just like, hey, like everything sucks, but like, it's going to be okay. Like. And I, I can't think of like a particular song or anything like that, but I'm sure everyone's heard those songs that, you know, sometimes when you're down, you're just feeling like, okay, but like, is it like, is it going to be okay? And I think with Andy Squires, it feels like he's just sitting with you in that. And he's like, Hey, like I've been there and it feels really bad. And sometimes he does end on that note. It's like, it feels really bad, but like God is still there, even though it feels bad. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, it was definitely as he, as a, as uh, someone who really loves lyrics, it was the lyrics that really drew me in. And then I also loved, I did love his use of the music, like the things that he, the way that some of his songs, I think I, one of the things I noticed is one, some of the songs that sound most conventional in terms of the way that the music sounds, actually the lyrics kind of throw you for a loop. You're like yeah. listening to it and you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is just a catchy little song. And then it'll say something like completely crazy or just that you wouldn't hear in a typical Christian like CCM song. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Okay, here we are. <laughs> and so he's again, I like like you guys have said, wonderful, such a good lyricist. Nothing like I've said nothing is wasted, which is one of his lines. <laughs> nothing it feels like every every space is filled with something that's useful or beautiful. Um Yeah, and it's just really cool. Nothing is wasted or everything is. <sighs> yeah, he's yeah. just very pro- uh, a lot of the stuff like you were saying is very provocative. So like mm-hmm. if you're listening to like one of the more upbeat songs and then he's 
(laughs) like God the Fool or something like that. Anyways, we'll get all to that. What about you, Brad? Well, I, I, I agree with what everyone said. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about art is that it can give expression or words um, to our experiences, to our feelings, to our thoughts. And as we encounter the art, we actually come to know ourselves better. We actually come to know our experiences better. We come to know who God is and how he works better. And it's through the art form itself that that happens. And so I think as I was listening to this album, I was just struck at moments how he was able to put words to feelings and thoughts that I was having or to experiences that I've been through. And he just nails it, Uh, not only through the lyrics, but also just through the, for lack of a better word, the vibe of... (laughs) the song and so there are moments where i'm listening to the album and i just stop and i go back and listen to a line again or a chorus again because it just hits so hard so that's what comes to mind for me yeah yeah what what i was thinking of as you were describing that was it's one of my favorite lines that he has and you quoted it in a sermon and here's here's the power of music um it was powerful in that sermon but it doesn't hit the same as when he sings it you know, kind of thing, because you can totally, you can cheat, you can cheat with music and you can do things just like you can with poetry. You can do things with language that don't sound ridiculous as, as they do when you just say them kind of thing. But it's the line you find out he don't fail when he don't intervene, which when I say that and you get the double don'ts right there, you're like, do you not know how English works? But when you hear it, I'll tell you what, he don't fail and he don't intervene. (laughs) Right, right, right. But it's not like that at all. And it hits, it hits in the song. But, but that's also that lament with hope. That's not cheesy hope. Like it's the no God will prove himself to be everything that he's promised to be, but not in the way that you expect, not by just snapping his fingers like Mary Poppins and making everything hunky dory. Like he, he will actually be with you in the midst of the pain and the suffering. And, and yeah, anyway, sorry, that's just what came to mind when you were talking Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, so before we get into track one, I do want to mention, too, that for those who don't really know who Andy Squires is, obviously he's a musician. He's also a pastor. Um, It's funny that we're talking about Andy Squires today. Yesterday, literally yesterday, he posted on Instagram and said that it's he didn't give too many details, slightly vague, but he basically said that he kind of unexpectedly got let go from his church. So I'm not really sure what all well, that entails and what that means. Do you know what means. pastoral position he held there? So he was a the worship pastor oh, at okay. this church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where John Marvin Millen's father was the senior pastor, and I cannot remember the name of the church right now. At some point in 2021, he actually transitioned to like kind of like an associate pastor role where it seemed like where he was doing less of – leading worship on Sunday mornings. And um, so I'm not really sure what's going on with that. He's also put out, I don't wouldn't call it a magazine necessarily, but it's called Poet Priest Volume 1. It's sort of like a collection of poetry, essays, thoughts. Um, some of it, I think, was inspired by some songs from this record. And then a lot of other things. There's some beautiful uh, photography so he did like a limited edition uh, 
pre-sale of these books. I don't know if he has any left over. I haven't looked at his website, and apparently he's making a second volume. Well, I was about to ask so. if he did a second run of them because they were sold out by the time I tried. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do know that he's actually doing like a volume two that's like a an entire – got all new material in it. So, um, But that's a really cool thing, so check out his stuff. He's got great merch too. We like to support – uh, the people that we love on this podcast, he actually has a Patreon as well that you can pay $7 a month and get exclusive content that he does like a week or not a weekly. Uh, he does a monthly zoom with all of his patrons. They can ask him questions and get to know him better and things like that. One of my buddies has actually done, uh, done that as a patron of his. So, uh, check out all of his stuff. Andy Squires, he's really awesome, but he's basically doing full-time music now. Like literally as of yesterday, he posted this on Instagram. <laughs> so, right. um, kind of a new, new thing for him, but he's been doing music for a long time. And one other thing that should be noted is that he's, he's grown up like me. He grew up in Pentecostal charismatic circles. He's still at a very much a charismatic church right now. So when you hear him in interviews, he, he's talking a lot about his background and kind of you know, some of the, some of the things that some of us charismatics find as we, as we get older and, uh, we experience and explore, uh, things outside of the churches and circles that we grew up in. So he has a lot of really interesting things to say on faith and culture. And he's just a, he's all around like a really brilliant guy, you know? Um, so anyways, track one, let's do this. So I love that this is like the first track that you get this yes. piano. It's a little disjointed sounding because the timing is really unique. And did you get his voice? What is that that's being plucked in the background? Some sort of a stringed instrument. It could be an acoustic or it could be like something tuned differently or something like that. Yeah, that's definitely something with strings. <laughs> Here is my harvest of heartbreak. Oh. Here is my threshing of tears. I'd give you my dream, but I lost it down in the locust years. Still crazy. He uses a choir a lot. Okay. I love it. More choirs and music, please. I love them. I'll start We're bringing the choirs back. We're going to do choir at Shades, John Mark? Sure. That my love is only a whisper. Yeah, so I'm not going to play the whole song because we'll just I end could, up sitting I, here yeah, listening. Yeah, I can just sit here and listen to the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even that first, so the first stanza that you get in that song, kind of what you guys were talking about with the lament, it's got the lament, it's got the turn into, but still praises the song that I'm singing. So that is an echo, uh, a theme that's echoed throughout even the Even those record. sorrows, mm -hmm. my tune. Yeah, 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 100%. Ah! Um, and so I think... Like I've heard him talk in some interviews. He basically just says that the whole album is just like really aggressive. And so I think like lyrically speaking, it right off the top of the bat, you're just hit with so many things. So anyways, so, do you guys have any thoughts about the song? So this is actually my favorite song on the album. My number it's a good one, one pick. Yes. And I mean, there are several lines throughout mm -hmm. the 
the song that we could discuss. So I'll just pick one. Uh, it was my favorite song before this happened, but the line that's always stood out to me in this song is in the beginning of verse two, where he says, here is my secret miscarriage. Here is my public divorce. And just how he places those two things next to one another. Can, can we just acknowledge the fact that both those lines come on the heels of, but nothing is wasted mm. with you. Yeah. Like, like, like I'm saying, I'm, I'm making this statement of faith that my God is a God who wastes nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to like, some of the most personal hardest places to go to in light of that statement in light of that truth. Yeah. So keep, keep going. Yeah. So as many of you know, Jordan and I had a miscarriage at the end of last year and there was a period of time where it was a secret, not because we didn't want to tell anybody, but there's just this period where you're grieving and you're slowly telling people and a, a miscarriage is something that it can be, so hard because it's so private it's not public it's not something that people see and so we were just kind of sitting in the grief and the sorrow of it and interacting with people at times and and they just had no idea and you're kind of carrying this and so when I hear this song now I I I immediately go back to that period and I resonates so deeply with the song because for me during that time even though I was in the midst of such grief and such sorrow for for me personally I didn't go through this um I don't know doubting God or thinking that he wasn't working or or what have you I was I was just grieving and he was with me in that in that sorrow, in that grief, and I was able to praise, but yeah, sorrow was my tune. Um, and so, yeah, it's a it's a song that's very personal to me, and a, a song that's still. I it, just as you turned it on, I started tearing up. <laughs> it's a song that still hits hard. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I I think um, I'm I'm sitting here just scrolling. Uh, through the lyrics, because like you said, we could literally talk about uh, every, yeah, yeah, every single one of them. And what what hits me though, specifically, Brad, as you describe y'all's experience, is it uh, y'all's experience with the Lord and walking through that mm-hmm. flips on its head uh, the line of where he got the line from which the song actually takes its name. He goes on, you know, here's my secret miscarriage, here's my public divorce. Nobody taught me to let go, so I learned how to beat a dead horse. Mm. Like this idea of like, I, I wasn't helped to process to walk through this. Like almost, almost lamenting like the lack of like a community, mm-hmm. um, uh, a biblical community. And I remember just even as you and Jordan were walking through all that, you just constantly, and you just talked about it then too, like talking about um, processing that in the midst of a faith community. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, anyway, I just, it just struck me as I was listening to you talk, like how different it is, like where y'all are and where you ended versus like, um, where, where he's talking about where these things can go if you don't, um, process them before the Lord and within a Christian community, you learn how to beat a dead horse. Like you don't get over, you just, get entrenched in yeah. 
bitterness and anger and regret and all of these different things. Totally. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's heavy. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a heavy, but, but beautiful and powerful song. And to, to come back to one of the more central lines of it, you know, he has that declaration kind of near the middle or end of the song where he says either nothing is wasted or everything is. The which is a I mean which is a really deep philosophical reflection actually I mean because uh, what he's saying is that basically either everything that happens in our life and our existence is absolutely and utterly meaningless there is no God and uh, we're just a bunch of atoms banging around in the universe and what happens means nothing and all of it's wasted or the alternative is that there is a God who is redeeming all things, meaning that nothing will be wasted in the end. And just, it's a beautiful, powerful way of presenting the, um, the hope of the gospel right in the midst of a song that's so, so heavy. Yeah. We keep missing each other. I'm on the liquor all is also (laughs) a really great line. I, I, pretty much laugh every time I hear yeah. that that line. It's so disarming and uh, it just, just just gets thrown in there like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it just communicates so much. You know? Yeah. This kind of checked out uh, well, also uh, trying to deal with what's going on the, uh, feeling God's distance. The the heat of your fire is just a memory. Mm. Um, like this idea that there have been times where he's been so close to the Lord and felt just this fire of his presence. Um, but because of these difficult and gut-wrenching experiences, like the, the heat of that fire is just a memory. His love is only a whisper now, mm. versus maybe he used to sing it at the top of his lungs. But he keeps coming back, but nothing is wasted with you. But yeah. it's, it's a statement of faith yeah. amidst lament. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Dead Horse. Uh, I'll do One of my favorite lines is close to the end when he says... Um, well, I mean, the whole thing is here in the Holy of Holies, here mm. by the blood of my of the Lamb. Words I have said all my life and believe, but still I do not understand. Which I really love as someone who grew up in a Christian background, has from probably before I was, literally before I was born, been in church every Sunday. Like, <laughs> that kind of like, and then professed belief at a young age and all of that. And like, words I've said all my life and I believe them. And still I don't understand. I love that as like, a, it's like, I've said it all my life and it's true. Like it's, it's not something I leave behind in childhood. It's not something that I have grown to disagree with. It's something that I still believe. And then I want to live in your presence. However, inopportune. That's a great line. Too. I love it so that much so good. because it's like how let's even, just read, let's just read the, all, the lyrics. all just, the lyrics. If you're not, if you haven't read them all, just go read them. But like, I just love that also because it's like, I don't understand what it means to say that I'm going to live in your presence, especially as someone like I'm younger than you guys. Like I don't understand what it means over the next however many decades of my life, what it's going to mean for me to walk with God, but I still believe them and I want to live in his presence. Like that's something that I'm going to state here. And I love that. Yeah. Brad, do you think uh, that line that she, she mentioned uh, words I've said all my life and believe, but still don't understand. Do you think that's an intentional Anselm reference? Faith seeking understanding? I don't know. I think he's deep enough for it to be. I don't know. Faith-seeking understanding is a popular phrase from church history uh, mm. coined by uh, the church father Anselm. Uh, yeah. Could anyway. be. 
I was listening to this interview, and I'm going to try to find the clip, so I may have to edit some of this, but the, <laughs> the guy asks him, uh, what is the dead horse? So in that song, Dead Horse, what is the dead horse? So I've been wrestling with this quite a bit. Is it faith? Is it religion? Is it the way that I approach God? Like, what is the dead horse? Uh, for me, it... it it it's it's not religion it's not faith it it was more just when you're in your 20s you have hopes and dreams and your dreams are out in front of you and the expectation is that those dreams are going to come true you know he, here's something that the evangelical church has done so poorly with the generation that they were teaching and i was i was part of this or receiving this message but there's this idea of destiny or calling, right? So I heard this from dozens, if not hundreds of pulpits growing up and into my young adult years, like you're special, you're unique. You have a calling on your life. There's something, God has a plan for your life and your job is to discover what that is and do big things for God. Like that is, when you're young and you're, you're having church experiences that are powerful and then you hear that message, Oh man, it does wonders for your heart. It sets your heart on fire. Like there's, there's, there's a healthy zeal that is attached to that. And so you're like, Oh, who wouldn't want to sign up for doing good things for God? That sounds great. Especially if it includes a stage and me talking in front of a hundred people or a thousand people, you know, like the advent of the mega church stage has become a powerful icon within our collective Christian consciousness right now. So 200, 300 years ago, I don't know, like if you were a Christian in America, it was like you were a dirt farmer and you went to a little wooden shack somewhere and the guy who could read was the guy doing the preaching. There was no career path for being a Christian, right? That's all changed, man. There's a whole industry. There's a whole Christian I'm a part of it. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. Well, it's so interesting to hear because I've always thought of learning to beat a dead horse is like this kind of coping. Um, uh, this sort of like in the midst of pain and uh, shame, humiliation, disappointment, whatever it may be, you just kind of learn to cope, to deal with it, to accept it. And it, it's not helpful, but it's just kind of reality. Mm-hmm. So it was helpful to to hear yeah. his take. But it, I think once again, that's what good art does: is it kind of right. leaves open several different pathways right. for you to go down. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this before, but like uh, one one of the beauties of uh, songwriting is a certain amount of vagueness mm. that allows multiplicity of application uh, for the listener, and that that songwriters a lot of times will be really hesitant. Yeah. to actually uh, speak to explicit meaning or even their own explicit experiences that have gone into their songs because uh, they don't want to limit it uh, for the listener. But yeah, no, I, I completely resonate with what he was uh, saying right there. Um, and I, I think you could apply that even even like he, he was talking about like that message of destiny and calling and, and all of that kind of thing. And I think that all of us received versions of that yeah, in our own circles, uh, growing up, you could apply that in a multitude of directions. But I've always thought of that learning to beat a dead horse is like the idea of 
being unable to let go of something that w- disappointed you, mm-hmm. that let you down. And so you, you just, I mean, it's dead, it's done, but yeah. you just, you're not moving on. Yep. You just beat that. Mm-hmm. Th- it's, yep. it's the... It's the high school athlete that can't quit talking about the state championship they right. won, and he's forty. <laughs> you know, he's right. beating a dead horse. It's like, dude, your your career is gone. You know, kind of thing. But but talking about that within the context of Christian circles. So what came to mind where I thought he might go as he was talking? What came to mind for me was like purity culture. Sure. Uh, yeah. Growing up, which put forth a, a prosperity gospel sentiment. And that's another version. What he talked mm-hmm. about is another version of a prosperity gospel mm-hmm. sentiment. You know, do these oh, yeah. things and it's going to turn out this he way. He talks about prosperity gospel. In oh, yeah, yeah. But like, so so the purity uh, uh, thing for, for us and for our generation was you do these things. So you, you don't have sex before marriage. You don't do this. You don't do that, blah, blah, blah. And this is what will happen. It's not that purity is a bad thing, but it, it taught like kind of this tit for tat exchange relationship with God. If you do this, and you're going to have the most amazing marriage you've ever had, well, then you have a host of people growing up under that message who either don't get married at all, or who get married and it goes sour mm-hmm. and south, and they get so embittered over that, and they can't let go of it, and, and they learn to beat it at horse, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing, and yeah. It's and it stems from I think exactly what he's talking about having a in uh, correct view of God and who He is and who He promises to be, and I feel like that's what his album does a really great job of of correcting. You find out he doesn't fail when mm-hmm. he doesn't intervene to use the correct English and not sound crazy when I say it. Track two, we probably need to move faster, yeah, don't we? Probably so. <laughs> I'm telling this, you, this, dead, this may take us five hours if we don't just, move on. It's just dead horse, I'm telling you. Right. Well, let us not beat a dead horse. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, no Resurrection is track number two. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say real quickly about this is that uh, this one just sounds like Bruce Springsteen, straight up. This, I, I hear this that. Whole, this whole thing. The did, whirlwind. Did the percussionist just use a bass and a snare drum the entire album? <laughs> I don't know. There's some symbols and some May, different And maybe places. it is symbol, but I mean, it's really great. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. No, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's very um, stripped down. I think there's some tambourine, maybe some yeah, symbols, there's but some mostly percussion. it's just bass and snare, but it is amazing and really helps the other instruments come to the front. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thoughts on no resurrection. What do you guys think? Anything that sticks out? I'm trying not to like, <laughs> just go Cassidy. Any thoughts? Like foil hole. inside my yeah. ragged tooth. There's I was, <laughs> was going to mention that There's one. There's a that lot of great lines in this one. That was actually my favorite. I wrote down. So I was like, I've never heard anyone make like tooth pain. So poetic. Yeah. Foil. Oh, that sounds it, terrible. Yes. <laughs> And it's such a good bit. It's just like it's so. I don't. I don't know. What's a like? The truth is like foil in your mouth. It's like painful and uh, so. Yeah. And a wasp inside your mouth too, which is terrifying. It's a really good like mental image of a wasp Mm. flying around inside your mouth, stinging the inside of your mouth. Not a good feeling. This one is interesting because, like, on the first listen, I was like, what is he talking about? No resurrection. Like, you don't want, like, you, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what do you, you don't want that? But 
I don't want no resurrection to not, raise any of my tears. Not for his afflictions. Not Bury my afflictions. afflictions. Yes. And my unrighteous years don't raise any of those back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Putting that behind me. Yeah, but he does that a lot. He'll he'll take something and that that you know the truth of, but he'll like flip the way he says mm-hmm. it, which just you know it makes you think think about it. I, I don't know. I love it. It's great. I'm good for us to keep going. All right. I know we got to make it fast well, through some, some of these. Yeah, I was. Yeah, 100. percent All right, let's move on. Let's Track number three. Trouble gonna come. Man, this one. Whoa. Yeah. Talk about aggressive. You gotta let us know when. We get to your favorite track. Okay. Oh. Uh, the rest of us have already identified our favorites. This is this is pretty high up there, I will say. Trouble gonna come like a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> Trouble gonna come. Oh, that voice. Like a heart attack. Like a locust swarm Turn the sun to black I also just want to know, who are these backup singers? Yeah, they have a really unique sound. That's one of the things I like about his BGVs. Mm-hmm. Like his group, like you were talking about the choir, like the we would call them like group vocals. Mm-hmm. There, There's a very unique sound. On this, this song in yeah. particular, yeah. that's... Um, I can't even describe it. It's the it's the high the high pitched vocals mm-hmm. of some of the females. It's very unique sounding. Especially in the next one. Uh, I think it's on the next verse, right? Mm-hmm. Let me fast forward this there part. Kind of eerie. Yeah. Yes. I was gonna say because this is the one that I think about. It has a really, it has a pretty like standard it's beat. It's upper, yeah. and then he, and then he plays that weird like eerie oh, high yeah. tone over it, and so you're like, I'm unsettled. This and, part. Yeah. This. It's like it's unset, and I think that's what I like about this mm-hmm. is that it's kind of an unsettling song. It's like, hey guys, yeah. like trouble is gonna come. Yeah. 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 And it's reflecting on the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you wrote in to us about this song. Yeah. Uh, it was it was one of the ones we talked about back in episode seventy one, because um, you were asking specifically about that lyric. And if God is dead, what is that to me? And we just talked about the fact that this this song is reflecting on the inevitability of suffering, yeah. um, and yeah. and like what hope does the gospel bring into that? You know, if God is dead, crucified on a tree, like like what? How's that helping me right here, right now, in the midst of the the difficulty and the trouble? And he's not saying that it doesn't ultimately, but he's wrestling with the tension that we all feel when you enter those moments of deep pain and grief. And it's like, how does the gospel help me right here, right now? And I think that's one of the things this album does is it gives you permission to feel these things and then to be able to express that. So I know that God is omnipresent. I know that he is everywhere. I know that he's here. I know that he's working. But right now, it just doesn't feel like that. And I don't need you to come in and say, well, no, he is here. Mm -hmm. 
um, rather he's expressing what that feels like and, and casting that feeling in this broader um, kind of narrative of, of suffering and God's action. And so that's what I think is, that stands out to me in this song. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were talking about going back to some instrumentation, I think the, what you were saying, Cassie earlier about some of the eerie aspects, particularly in that song, I think throughout the record, there is a thread of um, a lot of disjoint ideas that sound kind of disjointed together. Uh, so even like on Dead Horse, there's like, uh, at the end of that song, there's like this crazy, what we'd call a dotted eighth note guitar riff. Over like this crazy drum beat with like this piano and everything is sort of clashing. There's like a lot of musical tension. And that happens multiple times throughout the record. An example being what you talked about, Cassidy. And then on this next song, you bring the morning, which we talked about earlier being one of his more congregational songs, but there's some percussion and acoustic rhythms on this song that actually clash with each other in probably his most like accessible song. <laughs> so it's like a reoccurring like musical thread throughout the whole record that I think he probably does. He leans into it for sure because I think he's trying to make sure like he's not doing anything by the book or that's like kind of, anti-CCM to some degree, you know what I mean? Anti-contemporary uh, Christian music. But man, any any thoughts on this song? I mean, it is incredible. I think we all know the line that's the most intense is on the last verse, you bring the stillborn baby to my shoulder. I mean, that, that whole paragraph right there, it's being able to sing that, because we've done this song at Shades a few times, there's something that's sort of disarming and shocking about singing a line like that, like in the context of corporate worship that I actually really like a lot because I think it is, it kind of, I don't know, you're, you're able to kind of wrestle and sit with something that people within our congregation have actually gone through. And it's uh, this way in which you can in the context of worship and worshiping God, you're actually thinking about other people in that moment as well. You're thinking about what other people that you personally know have gone through. And so it's just, it's just a really interesting lyric. And then, of course, it always resolves by going to the chorus. Um, you know, you bring the morning, you bring the evening. And after the fire dies, you open up I love, too, that the lyrics reflect that God is exercising all of that, all of his sovereignty, all of his power and all that, in a way that is is tender and lovingly cares for yeah. us in the midst of our smallness in the midst of that. Right. So, so even acknowledging, like, you bring the stillborn baby to our shoulder. You Another line, um, oh, we're at that part in the song. Um, another, another line in that... Um, in this verse is you bring your passion mm -hmm. oh, to yeah. the graves that we stand over. So it's like in, yeah. in the midst of these moments, like with the stillborn baby or, or when the soldiers fallen or, or whatever grave we're standing over, like God is there with us and he, he brings his love, his care, his tenderness, his passion to that. And I really love this part 
right here because it's it's just expanding yeah. that right. and the idea of how God right. heals us. You bring the mountain, so I have somewhere to want. Like little old me, like you created this world in in a way that is redemptive in in healing, um, and, and it's just yeah, it's just beautiful i think in stressing the bigness of god the smallness of me but how they meet in a way that expresses the magnitude of the the love of, of god yep I, I love how the song brings forward this idea of god as the gift giver mm-hmm. and all these things he brings to us and then it totally speaks against a let go and let god because mm-hmm. the whole song is about this human participation. Yeah. We bring the singing. We bring, we bring the feasting, the thinking, right, drinking, right. even weeping. Like all mm-hmm. of these activities are, are good things that we bring and we uh, offer to God. And in so doing, we receive all of these gifts from him. I'd, so it's really beautiful. I'd, I didn't think about this until now, but I, I wonder if he's got any... Uh, like like inspiration here from like Ecclesiastes, like a time mm. for everything kind of thing. Yeah. I can see on. that. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, my other favorite line is, um, I have nothing else but the promises you're keeping. Yeah. Mm. Um, because it's like, it's, you know, at this moment where he's like talking about a lot of places where like you feel like you don't have like a some, anything to hold on to. And I think that's what people do tell us a lot is like, just hold on to these promises of God. And it's, but it's, it's that, Hold. I have nothing else, but I like I've lost everything, which happens to a lot of people in the mm-hmm. Bible and in real life, mm-hmm. which is also the Bible is also real life. But in the in the life that we are living, we, currently, we heard you. We heard you. <laughs> you heard it here. We know what you here. meant. Uh, but also, like I love that it's not just like I have nothing else but your promises. It's like I have nothing else but the promises you're keeping. Like you're, ke- I mm-hmm. believe that you're keeping them, and you are going to do what you said. And like yep. that in the middle of this like lament, and but also like. I'll, I don't know. It's really you, you talking about that line? It t- uh, last thing I'll say. We can move on. It, it, it takes me back to one of my favorite parts in Pilgrim's Progress. Which, if anyone has not read Pilgrim's Progress, it is the responsibility of every believer in Jesus to read John Bunyan's <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress at some point. No pressure. Um, no pressure. Uh, but uh, there's this moment where Christian uh, and his companion have been captured. Uh, by giant despair, mm. and they're locked up in his castle, which is called Doubting Castle, and it's ju- and he's just beating and beating them like to, like it, it's this image of just being doubting your faith and being in despair, uh, being in all these places that Squires is describing, and the way they end up getting out is Christian comes to like they've just been there, and and he comes to this realization. He's like, I have a key in my pocket. Mm that will open every door in Doubting Castle. And the name mm. of the key is Promises. Oh. And it's just, it's just, it's beautiful. But that's what that reminds me of. Mm-hmm. All yeah. Things by Shades would be a great song to go to after you bring the morning. Yeah. We're going to go to Andy's next track, God the Fool, which is just a provocative, mm. provocative yes. title. <laughs> I talk, I, uh, it goes well with what we talked about uh, this past Sunday. Uh, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about real wisdom a lot versus what appears to be wise and how what God calls wisdom in Scripture, including the cross, looks like foolishness. And he's playing on that idea right here of of God's quote-unquote foolishness, which is actually true wisdom. Yeah, well put, Jonathan. I, I listened to this song several times back to back like maybe last year at some point 
I just love all the lyrics in this song. Um, especially the I am a slice, slice sidewinder, a brood of vipers in your hand. You're an Appalachian preacher who I cannot withstand. It's so good. <laughs> oh. So you get a little bit of everything there. You get a little bit of snake handling, um, which is fantastic Ma- mat- and then materialism <laughs> but you get materialism in that line he just said right there forgive me for giving my heart away for gold that's exactly what he's talking, he's talking about doing all the things mm-hmm. that look wise under the world and god just flips it yeah. all well, with his foolishness it's like a song that we've william and i have talked about i think a lot i'm trying to remember what it's called but it's uh no, I can't remember because there's another song playing. But essentially, it's like is reckless love, is oh, like sure. is God's love reckless? Because like it's not, it's not dangerous. It's not like there. It's not foolish for God to love us. But like because He is God and He knows all these things. And like it's this is kind of like God the fool is like you're looking at God and you're like you God you dummy like you shouldn't be loving me like but that doesn't it doesn't come across at first. But it's kind of like I guess like you're like he's flipping things on his head. He's saying right. You know, things that look foolish to the world are beneficial to me. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a poetic way of speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, um, to to drive at a truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think he's taken it straight from Paul in his yeah. letters to the Corinthians. But yeah, I'm just scrolling through the rest of the lyrics because mm-hmm. it just uh, I'm chalking up my fortunes to your mm-hmm. foolishness of to the foolishness of God. I also love, um, you said to be wise and gentle like the serpent and the dove, only heeding half of your own advice <laughs> is your foolishness on God. Because he leaves you to be like, which one is he heeding? And then you, you know, it's the thought He's being gentle out. like the dove. Mm-hmm. He's saying you're being foolish, yes, you not to th- wise like the serpent. But, but, and, and then I love it because I do love, one of the things that I love about Andy Squires is his, he, he clearly has a pretty, fairly deep knowledge of scripture. Because like I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, like, you know, where be wise and gentle like the serpent and the dove is um or like the bit in the first in dead horse where he says like the down in the locust years right. and things like that like these mm-hmm. he's got these parts of and then, again that might be part of you know it sound like he grew up in mm-hmm. like a christian background it was like you kind of have all these things inside your head that are like mm-hmm. from scripture somewhere and he's put them into the lyrics in a way that's not just a like sometimes right. it's a direct quote from scripture sometimes it's not yeah just illusions mm-hmm. yeah Yep. You don't oh give boy. the poet answers, so the poet gives you rhyme. Oh, come on. All right. One of my favorite titles, King David of Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, let's go to a song that a little uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't critique culture at all. Oh, so yeah. we've brought in Tim Cook. Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Dude, just that first line. There was a kingdom of latchkeys swinging. It's like, let me critique. An entire generation yeah. of culture right here, real quick. Yeah, he comes in pretty hot on this song. To the gods of emptiness. To the gods of emptiness. He's talking about all the orchards in the valley. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just judgmental imagery. This one feels like it's, it's very heavily biographical. Like, they're... I don't like I can't I don't mean I don't know his life story but it sounds like I feel like I could build a picture of what I think he's talking about just based on this song um, but still it's really relatable somehow 
Silicon Valley, you killed my family. Mm-hmm. Family was all I had. Yeah, it's from the perspective of a kid, clearly, mm-hmm. you know, who whose parent or parents or whoever like abandons the family in pursuit of worldly success. Mm-hmm. You know, who will you lose to get ahead? It's 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 gut wrenching. It's musically, it's really interesting too. You have that drum loop, and there's like, like this part's kind of mm-hmm. the disjointed thing that I was talking about earlier. It's kind of like no tempo there with that situation, and then mm-hmm. he comes back in here with a different chord progression. In silence as I was singing on my bed. So that's kind of a that's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fun track. King David of Silicon Valley. Yeah. One of my last bits is is just the last stanza, I guess, where he's like, "My, I am King David. My crown has faded into an ashtray of regret," and then like the line where he says, "Life is nothing you'd expect," because it's like he's again he's abandoned. What no, I was just gonna say, what a picture mm-hmm. of like taking a crown off and sitting on the table and you're just using it as an ashtray. Ashtray yeah. of regret, mm-hmm. right? And then like sh- I've gone from the top, like yeah. I got everything and. I regret everything I sacrificed to get here. Mm-hmm. That kind of like he's, I, I get, I, I picture like he's talking, whoever the character is or whoever it is in the song is talking to his own father. I was like, I mean, everyone can have different interpretations. I was going to be like death of the author, Andy Squires. He meant something, but what, what you interpret is in some ways just as valid, even if it's different from what he said or what anyways. But, mm. um, but I love that last bit where he's like, I'm just picturing him like, like a kid, of divorced parents and he's like talking to his dad and it's like, and he's just like listing all his regrets here. Mm. And then, oh and that makes that last line hit really mm-hmm. hard. You know, I find you hard to remember, but still you're harder to forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Mm. And that one's, I feel like that one's one that, and this is again, my interpretation if things that you experienced when you were a kid or things that you lost when you were a kid. Um, sometimes it is hard to remember them. So if any, like if you lost a family, like if someone died, if you lost a family member or a friend, like you're like, I don't, I don't quite remember the sound of their voice, but I can't forget them. And so like that kind of like vibe of like, I, it's hard to remember what, maybe what you were like before you left us or what you were like, you know, but it's harder to forget those good times and the bad times and all that. I love Mm -hmm. that line. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what minute mark we're at. Right. We've got four tracks left. All right, so this is Before You God. I'm going to say a couple of things about this just based on the interview that I listened to him earlier. They asked him about this song, Before You God. He called it an anti-deconstructionist hymn, an honest assessment of the way life really is, but it's also a praise anthem to God. And then he referenced in the interview, he said, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. It's it's a, it's like his version of that. That's the song. Then they asked him about the miracles line, which is like a pretty wild line uh, in the album where he says, let me find it real quick. Uh, Cure for my fear of cancer is dripping down my throat. I still believe in miracles, God, even when you don't. And they asked him about that, and he basically... I didn't write down everything that he said, but essentially he said God has seen miracles and he's seen the anti-miracles. And then he said a really funny thing. 
He said God's got the worst batting average <laughs> in terms of like sometimes miracles happen and sometimes they don't. And he basically said about God that God is okay with that and he doesn't make excuses for himself. Thoughts about that well, song? And I mean, once again, in just a very raw, explicit way, it puts words to the reality of life that we all know to be true. Right. Some people want to be married at a very young age, and they're, uh, they marry when they're a lot older, or maybe they don't. Some people are healed. Um, other people are not healed. Some people have dreams that are fulfilled and come true. Some people have dreams that aren't fulfilled and come true. And uh, it's learning to walk with God in the midst of that and receive his joy right. and peace and come to accept um, just the reality of that. Right. Well, and some uh, don't learn that, and so they beat a dead horse, right? Mm. Like it goes together. Um, this is almost like the flip side of, of that idea. Because what he's singing, I love what he does right here with some of the imagery in the course. He says, before you, God, I will leave the 99 to find you in the darkness. I will not leave you behind. Because he's flipping the imagery. Yeah, of, he flips of, the parable. Yeah, of yeah, God, of Jesus, the good shepherd, leaving the 99 to, to come for us. From his perspective, yeah. Right. Like finding God. Yeah, and, and, like, yeah. and from his perspective, what he's talking about, like especially in light of that interview where he talks about this being an anti-deconstruction hymn, is like, even if it feels like everybody around me if the 99 are walking away from you yeah. and deconstructing, like I will leave the 99. I won't to, to, to still come before you. I won't leave you behind, yeah. you know? Well, yeah. Um, and it, and it, to tie that same chorus, I know you did not expect me. I'm a thief in the night. So he flips that on his head too. Right. right. Or normally we've always heard about God is like a thief in the night. And he flips that on his head. And he's like, no, to, to God, I'm a thief in the night. You did not expect me like that. That whole thing ties in with what you were talking about as well. Um, one of the funnier things about this song, well, so on Mother's Day, I follow him on Twitter and he tweeted on Mother's Day as a joke. He was like, a lot of you have, quote, the world's greatest mom, while mine just left me outside a stranger's door because she heard a howling wind and could not refuse it anymore. And then he replied and he said, this is probably the greatest song in my catalog. So he wow. really likes this song. Dang. Wow. But I laughed out loud at that on Mother's Day. I was like, that's really funny that he, <laughs> he used the lyrics like that. Like, I wonder if that's true. I know. I wonder about that so much. Andy, let us know. Were you left on a doorstep? Like, were you uh, dropped at a firehouse? Or? Yes. Okay. Well, never mind. We'll get to that later. Uh, this is Love Never Fails. Oh, once again. We're into my three favorites. Once yeah. again, disjointed. Oh, dude. Great little th riff. This riff, it reminds me of uh, the Dave Matthews Some Devil album. Yeah, it sounds like Dave Matthews. I was also thinking about Incubus. It sounds like Incubus to me. I can hear that. Especially with kind of the pitch shifting thing going on. Do you know what album I'm talking about? Some Devil. It wasn't a Dave Matthews band album. It was yeah, a solo it was project. Yeah, a solo thing. Some yeah. of yeah. us sinners. Some of us saints. I think the first some of us between a rock so. and hard place. Different some kind of, of snare. Welcome. Yeah, there's a lot of, of different snares throughout the whole record. Some of us the scapegoat, some of us the mob. And yet all of us. All of us guilty, then all of us free. A cup of joy poured out to our great relief. All right, so thoughts? So when the 
Oh, if I, I don't turn it down, we're just going to listen to yeah, it I mean, and yeah. say anything. Lyrically, another, just another gem. Oh, well, uh, let me just take us to, to some of the best parts. You know, the, the world's scarlet letter washed white as snow when the albatross curse all the wind from our sails. We had no dams to give. Love never fails. Oh, there's that explicit rating we're going to Oh, gonna get. my goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. He puts it on T-shirts and coffee mugs. I think it's funny. Um, it's, it's so good. Yes. I love it. He really, like, okay, this is just me nerding out, but he's like, I, he, you know, the title of the album is Poet Priest, but he's, cur- he's re- he, the, when the albatross cursed all the wind from our sails, he's referring to, well, I have to look it up. It's the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Yes. Yeah, and, he's, yeah. and, and I love that he's just like, gonna, I'm just going to drop that in there. Like, not only do I know the Bible, I know other stuff. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to talk about it. It's so great. Oh, yeah. Well, and, um, I, I he uh th- this is where the 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 song where the line comes in um you mm-hmm. find out he don't fail when he don't intervene yeah uh, right here um but again he's painting not the typical picture that you would think of when he talks about love yeah. not failing he's talking about no it's specifically at the point where it looks like love has failed mm-hmm. where it looks like god hasn't intervened when it looks like god doesn't believe in mm-hmm. miracles anymore you know, because he's not performing one when I'm asking him to. That's the point where he doesn't fail. That's the point where the greatest miracle of all happens. And, of course, he takes us. This is where I love it. This is, I think this is probably the most explicit gospel song uh, or, or lyric in the whole thing. I mean, you, you get it throughout. But right here, um, he he goes, um, to, to, to our dreams up in smoke beneath plunging nails Mm -hmm. so so the idea being if all of our hope like think of it from the perspective of the disciples all of our hope in jesus and who he is and what he what it looks like he is and what he's doing and then all of a sudden all of that up in smoke as he's being crucified like it's at this moment where it looks like love has failed and everything has failed that we find out it doesn't and what i love is not just the lyric here but what he does musically because he says that our dreams up in smoke beneath plunging nail, and then there's a lyrical pause. There's like this little musical interlude before he finally comes in, punchline of the joke, love never fails. Like, oh, you think love is failing right here at the cross? Uh, here, here's the punchline. Uh, there's a resurrection. Mm. And and love doesn't fail. It reminds mm. me of... I. Uh, uh, a tweet. This was years ago when I was still on Twitter and such things. Um, Russell Moore tweeted on, I think it was on a Good Friday. Um, I forget the reference, but it's it's Pilate responding to the request of the religious leaders to post a guard at the tomb, and in the the verse, the entire verse just says, uh, "Go and make the tomb as secure as you can," and. And Russell Moore just tweeted that scripture and and just said uh, funniest joke in the Bible, <laughs> you know. But but that's the idea here with this lyric, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just so anyway. interesting with a, you know, a line like "Love never fails" mm-hmm. and the song kind of having this tone to it that's a little disconcerting, feeling a little dark. And normally, when you think of a like "Love never fails," you think of it in like kind of a poppy, happy. Uh, song not in the way that he's reflecting it's kind of he pushes you to wrestle with what that means and it's it's amazing the effect that it has on you as you listen to it 
And I, th- I think my favorite bit is the, I guess, the bridge where it's a weapon will prosper, a levy will break, the heartbreaker gives you more than you can take. Because mm. it's the line, like, the the verse, you know, no weapon will prosper. Well, it's like, well, this one, like, some of them, like, the, it's true ultimately, but, I mean, sometimes you feel like you're beaten down. And then um, the heartbreaker gives you more than you can take, or I can't remember the beat at which he does it. But it's, because mm. um, people interpret, I think it's a verse in scripture where they say, like, I think it says something like, um, and you guys probably know this, but uh, the you won't be tempted past what you can withstand. Like there's always a way out of sin, and people have like twisted that and interpreted that. I've seen people use it as, you know, the Lord won't burden you with more than you can take, and it's like that's we can't take any like right. No, he always he does. always does that. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. kind of he, this is kind of like you he's, only get more than you he's can getting take. to yeah. that heart of that kind of. I think it's a prosperity gospel deal of like that heart of that is like you like even like the Lord will give you more than you can take. I'm sure everyone in like anyone listening to this, anyone in this room can has get, gotten more than they can yeah. handle, quote unquote. I heard a counselor say once that uh, rock bottom has a basement, <laughs> and I think that is the greatest little saying. And it's so true. Yes. Oh man, so good. Are, are we going to my favorite song? I get where I'm doing? going. Oh. I will lend a steady hand. Build a little cabin. One of the things that I think is interesting, sorry, just as we talk through this album, is how art has a way of allowing us to communicate and put down our fences and actually talk about our emotions and our experiences without kind of it being a courtroom. And I think he kind of mentions that on his Instagram some, talking about poets being a gift to the church. And it's interesting just how when we're all talking, how we're able to like open up and talk about our experience. And there's not this kind of what you might find on social media where this kind of like, yeah, but we also need to consider that da, 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 da. And well, did you know that this verse, blah, 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 blah. And so that's what I think is so amazing about yeah. this. I'm sorry. That might have been a bad yeah. time to mention no, that. But yeah. go ahead. I mean, it, it, you talked over the greatest song on the album. That's all. That's all. Oh, no. Turn this one up. We have wrinkles <laughs> in our bodies. Proving love's been good to us. Okay, so so this I think is actually why this is my favorite song on the album, because uh, I I have throughout my life. I mean, I've loved music. I, I've already talked about the fact that I love lyrics and such. Music has always defined my relationships. Like there are songs that take me back to specific relationships with specific people, and this isn't just like romantic relationships or my relationship with Holly. Like there are songs that like are significant to me in my relationship with my siblings or my parents or what have like I, I, it's just always been that way for me and and some of it has to do with the lyrics and some of it has to do with when the song is released but specifically within the context of my marriage there are songs that have been very significant along the way uh in my relationship with Holly and and this is one of those for me specifically because of that um that uh second verse uh, and, and this this entire song is a song. This this gets to a little bit of what I think is some of his Enneagram fourness, but that's really in the next song. Um, it's the song of longing. It's the song of looking forward to ultimate redemption. But the pictures that he paints of what that satisfaction and that ultimately redeemed world look like aren't what pe- like it's not the mansion in the sky or the blah 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 or whatever. Like it's. It's like at this little cabin and this little river through the land, this real simple life. And and this verse, when I get where I'm going, there's a woman in the dust. We have wrinkles in our bodies proving love's been good to us. Like it just, it just, 
it's beautiful and it just rings so true. And it's it it stands counter to everything this world values or our cultural values about uh, romance and um, youth and and all of these things. Oh, 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 what it reminded me of, it reminds me of an illustration I've used multiple times when preaching and teaching that I completely stole from a friend. Um, and it's an illustration of the first time that Holly and I held hands versus when we hold hands now. And I'll talk about the first time we held hands, how like, you know, my heart was beating fast, my palms got sweaty, blah, 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 all of that. And how when I hold her hand now, like I can't, I couldn't make any of those physical reactions happen if I tried. But her holding my hand now means so much more because we have, what year is it? It's 2022. We've got over 20 years of being together, um, uh, of this backlog of her seeing me at my, of us seeing each other at our worst, at our best, all of these different things. And she grasped my hand and it's, I love you in the midst of all of that. And I'm still here and I'm still committed. And j so just, that's what that line reminds me of, of we've got wrinkles in our bodies proving love's been good to us. We've made it. We've stayed together and love has held us together even as we've weathered all of these different storms. Oh, but then I'll just go over a few of my favorite lines because he, he goes into the course where we go out Let walking. Let me just read the whole song real oh, quick. No, no, no. <laughs> Cicadas singing like somebody washed away their sins. Yes. I will never listen to cicadas in the night in the same way again. Pretty um, but yeah, when I get where I'm going, guns are hammered in the plows. I mean, that's that's a modern take on the prophetic tradition of swords being hammered into plows. And I just, yeah, it's just all of these yeah. beautiful images uh, of this hope that we have. Yeah, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. It's my favorite song on the album. So I'll be good. done now. Yeah, he likes to be out in nature. If you follow him on Instagram, he's always like fishing and showing what he caught. And, he, you know, the kingfisher bird, I mean, I didn't really know anything about a kingfisher bird before. Yeah, give us some background on that. Uh, it's a, uh, kingfishers are a family of small to medium-sized, brightly colored birds. Uh, and I, I don't know if he's like a bird watcher. I don't even know if they have Dude. these in America. I don't think they do. I don't think they're here. This, I, I don't know where, you know, what his inspiration for that was, but there, there's definitely, awesome. King, there's definitely kingfishers in America, in North America. Okay. I don't remember exactly what parts I've looked it up before. Um, but, oh yeah. Most. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He definitely, uh, I, I think had the writings of Wendell Berry and Eugene Peterson yeah, sitting in front he, of him yeah, sure. as, as he wrote sure. this song. Um, yeah. uh, Eugene Peterson has a book called Kingfisher's Catch Fire. Oh well, that's probably what it is. Um, then. And so, yeah, but just all the all the nature vibes and the themes of like what it values and yeah, yeah. all that. And I was thinking specifically of um, by Wendell Berry. He has a book of poetry called The Country of Marriage, mm. and it kind of has those same vibes because he's been. I think he's also been married to the same same woman for his whole life. Loves being out in nature. I love Wendell Berry so much. Oh, have you read a lot of Wendell Berry? I've read a few of his stuff, and I love his poetry. I, I the first line of uh, The Country of Marriage. I looked this up because I was like, I, this just reminds me of it. Is I dream of you walking at night along the streams of the the country of my birth, and I'm like. <laughs> That just, I feel like he really did have, if he hadn't read it, the Lord the Spirit kind of brought those into his brain or something, because mm. it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Can I, as uh, last thing on this, can I just tell y'all that I have recently taken up, I'm trying, and I'm getting into bird watching. 
and th- there's a dual effect. There's there's a dual reason that this has happened to me. Okay, um, it is it is the combination of the Bible and Tanisha Garnier. <laughs> um, uh, so so preaching recently uh, on the passage of uh, not being anxious and, and God saying, "Look at the birds." all that and then just Tanisha uh, bird watches and she put me onto this app um, called Merlin and it's a app that helps you identify birds and one of the ways it can do it is through sound like you can just hit a button and it listens to the birds like in your backyard and it will identify it and show you pictures information all and it, it makes like bird watching so incredibly fun for somebody who knows nothing about birds uh, because you can literally find what bird you're looking at and listening to, and all this. Anyway, sorry, I'm just gonna throw that on there uh, really quickly. But yeah, <laughs> all right, I'm done with my bird watching stuff. Last track, anybody? <laughs> the Enneagram Four track. John Mark, are you about to tell me he's not an Enneagram? I'm really four? gonna disappoint you, man. Ah, I've really it. been. I don't want to talk about you've it. You've really been hammered at home, <laughs> and I hate to tell you, man. Just, just say he's a four. <laughs> he's not a four, Jonathan. I'm sorry. He's actually an Enneagram eight, and if you, if you, oh my gosh, if you listen to him talk, he's he's just a very provocative like. You, you I can could, tell. I could get you, that from you can, the, you from the brief clip. He, he, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, can I tell you why this is a song <laughs> written for Enneagram fours? <laughs> he waxes philosophical at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Early, I marveled that I was alive. Are you saying that other Enneagrams can't wax philosophical, John? No, what are you trying to no, say? No, <laughs> but Enneagram 4s are obsessed with themselves. You know that, right? Enneagram 4s. We have friend. seen that from this podcast. Enneagram 4s, sure. best friends are a mirror. Um, and thanks, Brad. I'm going to go cry now because I'm an Enneagram 4. I'm just going to go weep in the back and beat myself up about that for the rest of the day. No, Enneagram Fours think that nobody else in the world feels the way they feel. Um, they have a they have what I call a Truman Show complex that I nobody that else movie. nobody else must understand what I'm going through. Like it, the whole world's probably a joke on me, <laughs> and I'm singled out. You know, kind of thing. I think it just speaks to his ability as a writer, yeah, and a thinker, mm-hmm. yeah, that everyone is able to resonate so deeply right. with it. Right. right, you know, but he yeah. talks about that early afflicted. You're like, this guy knows yeah. me. So this like, guy gets me. <laughs> so like, even at an a young age, struggling with existential crises. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, river of fire cut through me. And then, of course, you know, his second verse, he 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 gets to me because early I married for love and for sex. I got married at stinking twenty years old, guys. I mean, so yeah. he's just. Mm. Just tell him a story over yeah, here. He's got an essay about that too. I think it's in Poet Priest. There's several essays that you can tell have were started probably by a line that he had that he just drags out. And and one of those is that. Another one's like some of the hidden life language that he uses, or quiet life, I should say, quiet life. And then another one is um a weapon shall prosper against you. Like there's several lyrics throughout the whole album where he teases out a bunch of other ideas, like in these essays in that book. My favorite is the bridge, the late have I loved you, late have I tried, late have I loved you, but never mind the time. It's it's just good. I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Well, I'm done talking because... I have a complex now. 
So, Brad, what, well, are you, what are your thoughts on this last track? That's a, a great place for this album to end. In, Wait. In shame. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, Brad's recently been recommending books on shame, talking oh about the positive effects of shaming people. I feel it, Brad. Wait, I'm going to shame you guys. Did you not listen to the <laughs> Voice Memos album where he has three extra songs? I, I do know Uh-oh. about that, but I didn't Come think on. that we were going to include that. But we, I mean, we don't have to. I was just going to say my favorite one yeah, of those. Yeah, give us your thoughts. My favorite one of those is, um, hold on, I forgot the name of it. I'm going to really embarrass myself. Hold on is As the Sparks Fly Upward. I love that one. You can see a lot of like the thoughts that he put that uh, that end up in other songs um, sure. in those three. But Broken Curses is also good. That's that's the one that makes me think something about his mom because he, he starts it off by saying, like, my, my mom was broken in her mother's womb. No one would lift her crib like a tomb. And so he, like, his, her curse is passed on to him. Like, he, you know, like, the kind of like the thought of that process of, like, the things that happen to our parents are passed on to us. And how do we keep from passing those on to our children and break mm. the curses? But wow, they're very good. I love that. So that's, that was just like, because we talked about his mom a little bit. And I was right. like, I wonder. I don't oh, know. That's interesting. Mm. Well, if you're not convinced now, ten we, out will of never, ten. we will never convince you to listen to this album. 10 yeah. out of 10. 10 out of 10. Five out of amazing. five. Five stars. Five out of five. Two, two yeah. enthusiastic thumbs do, up. Do y'all have the vinyl? Uh, I don't think I don't there, is, think a there vinyl. is a vinyl. All right. I There's wish, not a vinyl. I, I wish there was. Way to go, I Brad. Was just, I, was just think, <laughs> I was just thinking, man, I'm going to go get this on vinyl. It's expensive to press vinyl, I'm telling you. Never mind. It's very expensive to do. Andy, if you're out there, now that you're full-time music, we'd love a vinyl. <laughs> Did you guys see? I think he said he was going to do like small, like small, more small shows. I yeah. Think we should crowdfund that. Let's, you know, break, get him here. <laughs> we, oh, I'm not. Listen, Andy, mm, Shades, I'm not gonna say anything. Shades is open as a venue. Come on. <laughs> Please listen to our podcast. Please, um, <laughs> this podcast episode. It's not this on, is y'all's yeah. podcast. <laughs> on the podcast, we're asking you to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe someone will listen to it and be like, I'm friends with Andy Squires. Let me pass this That's on right. to him. Hey, listen to all these takes on your album. And then Actually, like, Andy, don't just, listen. Just, Please just don't listen. Never mind. Like those are all, which is why I go back to the literary theory of the death of the author, which is which I don't totally agree with, but that the, uh, the whatever the author w- wants is not, not necessarily the most important thing. I think, though, it is important to know what they want because what they wanted to convey. Because, anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think <laughs> that I think that that uh, literary theory applies even more when you're dealing with poetry. You know, a lot of times, um, poetry, lyrics, things like that. But yeah, Andy, just listen to us gush about your songs for a while. Yeah, no negative feedback whatsoever. <laughs> Poet Priest, it's available streaming everywhere. Of and course, you can buy. I think he does have it on CD, compact disc, and he has cool T-shirts and mugs. So go and support an artist that's really awesome that should continue to make great art and great music and poetry books and I don't know what else he's got planned but I love everything he's done so far so go check it out well and if you've listened to the album please send us your thoughts if you haven't listened listen and send us your thoughts we want to hear did you like it did you not like it any criticisms any praise shoot us an email midweek at shadesvalley.org because shades midweek you're part of the conversation